Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tuesdays with Townsend, a podcast from Rivertown Church in Brattleboro, Vermont. My name's Ben Whittinghill. It's my privilege to sit down each week with one of my fellow pastors and dear friends, David Townsend, to discuss questions of faith, challenging issues, and sometimes random topics. Our goal is to serve you as you seek to follow Jesus faithfully in our post-Christian world. Thanks so much for joining us. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, It's uh, a new week of Tuesdays with Townsend, and this week I am doing this by myself. We um, we're gonna have just this week and the next two with uh, me, myself, and I. So uh, I hope to uh, still uh, meet the quality of production that Ben always puts on. But um, uh, these next few weeks, because it'll it'll be just myself, um, we're going to have a little bit shorter, but there's still some interesting topics and some points of discussion that I think are important for us to work through. So um, today's topic is contextualization. And, um, you know, this this podcast is is really meant for the people of Rivertown Church, our our church, um, and um, a church that both Ben and myself are pastors at. And we want this podcast to be um, useful and engaging and um, but for the most part we want it to be um, equipping so that our people know uh, how to look at the scriptures but also how to look at the culture and um, and really how to look towards the gospel rightly um, and and navigate the the commands and the responsibilities of bearing the gospel in culture and um, if you've been watching these videos in weeks past, you'll know that it's primarily an apologetics podcast, but um, we have discussed uh, current issues um, and have kind of run the gamut of of different things. And, and in light of last week's message, so if you were with us last week, we discussed specifically the role of the church uh, uh, in racial unity and in striving for racial unity, specifically within the church, right? And because we, we can only really speak from the perspective of uh, of who we are in Jesus, right? The perspective of of Christians that trust Jesus is who he says he is and that his word, that is the Bible, is true and trustworthy and good for all things in life. And so we can only speak and only have really the authority to speak um, in that sphere and from that perspective. But one of the things that we discussed at the beginning of last week's message was this idea that um, we have to be humble learners, particularly in light of what's going on in our country right now in the aftermath of a tragic death. Um, and we have to be humble learners and really, a lot of this is new, and, and maybe some people, maybe some white Christians find it frustrating because they just don't get um, what's going on, and maybe maybe they, they, they desire to, or maybe there is an interest in, in doing what's best for all peoples everywhere, but um, I think there's a fundamental issue, and, and I think we can speak to it here because it's something that's not really... Um, talked about a lot in evangelicalism in America, 
because it's not something that we've ever needed. It's, if you're not leaving this country's borders, you don't really consider it. Um, and it's the issue of contextualization. And so um, I just thought we would discuss today what a what a introduction, what, what contextualization is, and then give a brief introduction of how we begin to uh, see it for what it is and where its place is within the gospel and specifically within um, being witnesses to who Jesus is and so and, and why it's important, particularly in our day and age and in the midst of current events. Um, so contextualization, to, to make the most succinct definition possible, is really the idea that context um, drives one's view and, and it shapes one's reality. Uh, and when we're saying we need contextualization as Christians, what we're saying is we need to uh, view uh, the culture, uh, the, a culture that's not ours, right? Another culture, and also um, speak the gospel into that culture in a way that is understandable, and that is um, that is not at all de- uh, taking away from the the truth of the gospel. That does not at all. Um, minimize the gospel, but it speaks in such a way that is understandable and is made relevant to a particular culture. And so I actually have some old notes um, from grad school that I'd actually like to read from to help um, really further concretize what what contextualization is. And so um, basically this, contextualization is a theological and missiological process that seeks to answer questions about communicating and living out the gospel in ways that are entirely consistent with the faith as revealed within the scriptures, confirmed through the Christian community, and at the same time completely appropriate for the local people. And some of you may think, well, what does this have to do with anything? And really it's... It's this idea that we have to recognize that um, we as Protestants, particularly the majority of who I'm speaking to are most likely white Protestants, our experience, well, our experiences certainly vary, but even our, our general experience is largely the same, and therefore we uh, oftentimes approach um, problems or questions with the same methods and uh, we have the same assumptions going into a situation when there is a global Christian community who genuinely sees things different. And for example, um, this one, I mean, we can speak just to a general example first and then specifically biblical one. Um, Many cultures around the world view time cyclically, right? They view it in circles. Some of that is, is stems from their religious uh, upbringing or the religious influence on their culture, but nonetheless they see things that way, whereas we in the West tend to see things linearly, right? There's a start and there's a finish, and this happens. What's interesting is that neither the, the Bible doesn't necessarily speak to any of those positions, but we can't think as Westerners of anything cyclically. We just don't. It, it's not, it seems foreign because it is and to us and it seems um, you know totally implausible. Whereas if you think about who God is and 
his character and his um, his his total transcendence and eminence, time is in many ways irrelevant to him. Right? He he certainly speaks into time and he uh, controls it, but he's outside of it. And so the biblical narrative doesn't really address something like that, but there's a fundamental difference in how we view time in our country compared to other countries, specifically um, Asian countries. Um, there are some other um, other places, not just in Asia, that, that view time cyclically. And that, that's a more general kind of perspective or a general example. One more specific would be the story of the three wise men who visited um, Jesus after his birth. Um, the, much of the Chinese church reads that story and they think the wise men are idiots because it was known that Herod was looking for the son uh, or the one who was born was looking because there was a rumor that the king had been born and yet the wise men still go and they show up and they, they inquire of the king right, um, of this one who was born and so uh, Chinese church, uh, many of whom live underground, meaning they, um, they, they do not go to a public gathering place in, because the government has not allowed for authentic, an authentic evangelical presence. Right? You will see the threefold self or the three-self church within China, but it's heavily governed and heavily uh, monitored by, the, church, by the, uh, the communist government there. So there's very little you can do as far as proclaiming the gospel and discipleship and things of that nature. So many Christians in China, um, they meet in secret. And that's what we call it the underground church. And so they view this story, and because they, they understand what it's like to live under an oppressive government who would literally put them in jail and does put them in jail for their faith, they look to the story of the three wise men and think that these guys are absolute idiots for approaching Herod. And so it's something as simple as that that totally changes the narrative of the birth of Jesus. Um, and yet, it's real. And their perspective is no less authentic and genuine of an interpretation than ours would be when we see the wise men as that, wise. Because the word, the, the language there doesn't necessarily mean wise. It means they were magis, right? They were, they were diviners. But that's, that's neither here nor there. So, the point being, contextualization is important. And Learning to see things through a different lens is helpful, particularly in understanding the experiences and the circumstances of others, but even more so in understanding uh, why people see the world the way they do. And that's not to say that the Bible is compromised by context or that the, the narrative of the scriptures is relative from context to context. It's not at all what this means, but in a very real sense, we do not have the corner of the market of uh, truth or hermeneutics in the West. And it's naive and arrogant to think that we do. And so we, there's a lot to be learned from the global church. And this even speaks to our current situation. There's a lot to be learned from ethnic Christians or non-white Christians because their experiences are incredibly different than ours. As to, again, I'm speaking mostly to white people I know. So, um, and so there's much to be learned there. And so, um, there's several. The, and contextualization really is a is an issue of missiology, right? If we're going to faithfully proclaim the gospel 
into culture. We have to communicate thoughtfully, carefully, and in a way that is understood. Um, much of the missionary efforts um, in the 1800s are, were, were, were problematic, particularly into countries like uh, Africa and, and then, or excuse me, continents like Africa, but countries within Africa and countries within South America, because um, it, it was often assumed that, there, that all culture was evil and that we have to create a blank slate and then preach the gospel into that. And that the culture we then established from preaching the gospel should look like the Christendom that was found at that time in New England. Um, and it's incredibly naive, and if anything, it's a very um, colonialist perspective. Um, you know, a lot of good came from missions during that era, uh, hospitals and schools. But as far as culture goes, much of it was stripped because all of it was deemed evil, such as how one dressed and even language. And it was assumed that English was the Christian language. Um, and, and those are sinful assumptions, and they're absolutely wrong. And so um, we now have seen, because of uh, modern anthropology and just a, a more clear uh, look at, at really what, what the Bible's teaching and, and how it communicates, that um, though there was much fruit from early um, modern missions efforts, the earliest efforts of modern mission, um, there was many failures with regards to looking rightly to the cultures of the world. Um, another issue that that we see is, and th and if you don't really believe or are tracking with with what I've um, kind of what I'm communicating so far, it would do you well to consider this: that culture um, is a is a byproduct of humanity, but it's not. Most of culture is neutral, right? It's it's neither bad nor good. Language, for instance, would be uh, morally neutral, meaning whether you speak Mandarin or Spanish or Arabic or um, Farsi or English, there is no sin in that. And it is, it is a beautiful expression of who you are and how God created you. And um, historically, there there has been an oppression of even various languages um, in early missions efforts. That's not always the case, but there has been. Um, and so, one of the um, one of the kind of helpful scales of contextualization, because there there is a scale. There's a spectrum, um, right? You you can go too far down the root, the rabbit hole of contextualization, and the gospel can be so watered down that it's no longer relevant. It's no longer powerful, and it's no longer uh, redeeming because it's no longer the gospel. And we have to avoid that at all costs. But there's a lot of contextualization to be had and, and a lot to be learned as we speak the gospel into cultures other than our own that I think will do us well. And it all starts from a place of humility. Um, there is a scale that one missions organization uses called the C scale, contextualization scale. And it starts at like zero to five. And their, their slogan is C4 and no more. And with each number, there's greater degrees of contextualization. But once you, um, according to this organization, and I, and I agree with them, once you pass the definition of C4, you, you are beginning to water down the gospel and really betray the fundamental 
proclamation, the, the, the kerygma of the New Testament, right? The preaching of the gospel. But it, it goes like this, right? Um, say a C0, C1 um, church plant, say in the Middle East, uh, imagine that they plant a church, they do not teach or preach in the local language. All of the songs and the music is um, were written by Americans from popular uh, worship bands in America, and they're not sung in that language. Um, and all of the, the building looks like a Western church building. It's not at all styled, stylized like local buildings. Um, the dress is Western, right? There's zero efforts given to, to meeting those people where they're at and even uh, looking like you belong in that community. Zero effort. Okay, that would be, you'd be at the start of the scale. And with each number, you progress towards um, more contextualization. So C4, uh, again, in the Middle Eastern context, so an Islamic context, um, you would have locals dressing how locals dress. You would have, um, you would have the teaching and the preaching and the singing all in the local language, presumably Arabic. Um, you would have the music um, written by... Arabic believers at or at a minimum um, other songs that were perhaps written in the West at least translated into their local language and perhaps even in a style of music that is um, that resonates locally and is not Western um, and finally you would stylize everything about your 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 philosophy of ministry, your how you do discipleship, it would be appropriate for that context. And you might even have local believers um, identifying themselves as Muslim background believers. Um, and why is this important? Well, in many countries, because of what's at stake with being a believer, right? the call is heavy, and Jesus is not at all mincing his words when it says, follow me, take up your cross, right? Follow me, die to self. And in many ways, people will lose their, lose their lives. But, I mean, we're saying Jesus is the treasure worth following. We're saying that Jesus is the pearl of great price, and he is worth losing our lives for. Jesus teaches us uh, that don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill both body and soul. And so, yes, following Jesus is worth giving up your life for. However, that's not a, uh, a call to be a, a martyr um, just because you think it gives you brownie points in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I think it, it behooves us to be wise. Jesus says, be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So, um, so there's a great care given to particular contexts um, in as far as proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and planting churches. Um, one of the things that um, m many missionaries have seen is that baptism is so tied to identity that it's best in those contexts for local believers who are from that, that context to baptize new believers. Because then there is a, an identity thing going on that says you belong as a former Muslim, but as, an, as one who, who is of this area, you belong to the, the church of Jesus. And yet you are still a citizen or a person of this culture. And that's important because um, 
many times Western uh, Christianity is assumed to be Christianity. And it's evil, right? Nowhere do we see that in the Gospels. But there needs to be authentic, faithful expressions of Christianity that are that are, are, are from within a context. And so we don't want to see the nations all look like uh, white Protestants, but we, we want to see global Christianity have vibrant, beautiful um, ethnic expressions of Christianity that are faithful to the scriptures, that are faithful to, to Jesus, and that are filled with power because they're empowered by the very Spirit of God that, that lives with them. And, and that's, a, that's a real possibility, and that's God's design, right? We see that in the end, the throne room will be surrounded by all nations, tribes, tongues, um, and peoples. And so that's what we're after. And, and I think part of praying the Lord's Prayer, asking that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and His kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, is to ask and, and, and pray for a diverse church that rightly reflects the diversity of the world. And I think for those of us who may never leave this country, um, I've had the privilege of traveling a lot, and I've gotten to see this, and I've gotten to experience it firsthand, and it was more than a blessing, and it was challenging to me. But f some of you will, will never have that chance, um, and, um, and that's okay, right? It's not, it, travel is, is a blessing, but it not, again, it's, it doesn't make or break anything. H however, my charge to us as Christians in the West is to understand that we are not a monolith in the West, meaning our culture is not one. There is cultural diversity in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our states, and certainly in this country. And so it would do us well to humbly look to our neighbors and to other Christian brothers and sisters who have different views and perspectives and to listen and to challenge our own convictions and beliefs with the stories they tell and with um, the convictions and even the interpretations of the Bible that they might bring to the table. Again, we're not at all saying that the Bible is relative and that the gospel, right, the good news of Jesus Christ, changes culture to culture. But in a real sense, Jesus died to redeem a people for his possession, knowing full well that those people came from all types of backgrounds from all over the world. And um, it will be a beautiful scene on the last day when the church the global church from the beginning of time till that day is standing before the Lamb. And they are singing. We will be singing. And it will be a joyous, beautiful chorus. And um, man, that that is God honoring and glorifying. And I, I think and I pray that our... I, I think we we have to desire that. And I pray that we do. And so I have some recommendations for books for any of you who think, well, you've, you're off your rocker, David, or you are really, maybe you are interested, but you just feel um, ill-equipped to, to learn more. I'm going to give you some recommended readings. The first, uh, I don't have a physical copy. It's, it's, I only have it digitally, but it's called Contextualization in the New Testament by Dean Fleming. Contextualization in the New Testament by Dean Fleming. Highly Recommend it. Highly recommend it. Um, it was one of the best books I read um, in one, you know, one year at seminary. And um, 
it will challenge even how you view the Bible. Um, and you may not agree with it. In fact, I need to reread it, and I'm not sure where I would land on some of um, um, Fleming's uh, positions on certain things, but it was so helpful in opening my eyes to see um, how I was missing the, the contexts of the Bible itself, right? The context in Corinth and Ephesus and the church in Galatia and Philippi. And he, he's actually using the, the, just the sheer evidence within the Bible and the fact that we have letters written to these various churches within the New Testament and showing how uh, Paul and other New Testament writers spoke to their context, to their specific context always. And so it's, it's basically an argument for contextualization from within the New Testament. So that would be my first place to start. Um, highly recommend it, and it's a shorter read. Beyond that, I have some other recommended readings. Um, the next would be Contextualization and Syncretism. This is a series of, um, this is a series of essays that have been compiled with the editor being Dr. Galen Van Rienen. Um, there are some very well-known anthropolo Christian anthropologists and missiologists who write articles within this. This is a, somewhat of a hard book to find. I don't think um, it's readily available anymore, but you might get lucky with a used copy on Amazon, as I did. Um, and then after those two, if you're still really hungry for uh, viewing culture and, and how to, to sort through the layers of it, because culture, culture is, is difficult. It's like an onion. The more you peel back, the more there is to learn. It, it never stops. Um, and so you, you could easily read many, many, many books and, and still um, not, not be an expert. I'm not an expert, but... Um, I, I have read a few books or more on the subject. So, um, Contextualization in World Missions. Uh, this particular book, written by Moreau, is very helpful with regards to looking towards other cultures that you might speak the gospel to it. And then lastly, this guy's a stalwart in Christian Anthropology, Transforming Worldviews by Paul Hebert. Um, man, that's, th these are kind of big books, these two. And so they're more like textbooks, but if you, if you want to read them or have any inclination to do so, I highly recommend it. Um, many of you might still be quarantining, so uh, it's a no better time than now. Um, again, this is all in a follow-up to last week's message that I would encourage you to go listen to if you haven't um, regarding the, the burden that we have um, to, to listen to our neighbors and to see them where they're at and to love particularly those in the church who don't look like us. So um, anyway, it's a privilege. Feel free to post questions to this video if you have any. Um, I'd be happy to answer anything. Um, and uh, just know that, man, the people of God ought to always proclaim the goodness of God. Um, but that, that also means we have to be a conduit of His goodness, His kindness, His mercy. And we, we never let go of either. We have to be, we have to preach the gospel both in word and in deed. And if you feel ill-equipped for the task, it's okay because God sees you. He knows where you're at and um, His grace is certainly sufficient. But let's not um, be content or complacent with where things are at. But rather, let's be humble learners who seek to know Jesus more that we might proclaim Him more fully. Um, just know that... Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here, and I hope you guys have a great day.
Thanks for joining us for Tuesdays with Townsend. We invite you to join us on Facebook Live each Tuesday at noon where you can submit questions and comments. If this podcast has served you, it would greatly help us if you leave a review on iTunes and share it with your friends. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you next Tuesday.